Today's a little bit different of a message, so just be prepared for that. Let me start with a question for you. This is not a rhetorical question. This is a question that I'm kind of wanting to hear from you. When you hear the word disciple, what comes to your mind? When you hear the word disciple, what comes to your mind? Just shout it out. Teach. Someone who's learning. A follower. What was the other one? Servant. Servant. A witness. I'm going to change the word up a little bit. When you hear the word discipleship, what comes to your mind? Mentoring. Teaching and support. Fellowship. Good words. Today we're going to talk a little bit about discipling. A disciple of Jesus, this was what came to my mind, a disciple of Jesus simply means someone who is learning and following Jesus. If you are learning and following Jesus, you are a disciple of Jesus. And you might go, oh, I didn't know I was. Okay, that's great. If you are learning and following Jesus, you are a disciple of Jesus. Now, part of being a disciple of Jesus, part of being a learner and a follower of Jesus, is that part of the essence of that is that it is not a private thing. It's not something that we can keep to ourselves. God has made it so that we need to share with others what God has and is doing in the world and in our lives. And this is, this is kind of an interesting paradox, and you may feel a little uncomfortable with this right now, because for a while, the church, individuals within the church, have felt like, I can have my private faith, me and Jesus, and be a disciple of Jesus. One of the challenges with that is that when we look at Scripture, we don't see that at all in the teachings of Jesus. In fact, when Jesus talks about being a disciple, he's constantly sending people out, sending people out, interacting with other people, doing life on life together. That's what being a disciple means. And for many of us in our 21st century world and in our church, that isn't totally comfortable. And we're not really sure what that means. And so I want to share with us a few ideas today about how do we disciple well and how do we do that in a public way. Because private faith doesn't work with being a disciple of Jesus. And let me just share a few uh, scriptures with you just to, to clarify that. So Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. If you just have one piece of iron, it doesn't get sharp, and it doesn't sharpen anything. You need iron to sharpen iron. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Again, there is a mutuality there. There is a need for other people to relate to other people, to be sharing with each other, to be encouraging each other as we move forward. How about this, this one? Uh, might be one that you've, you've heard before. Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now this last scripture, incredibly, incredibly important, is also incredibly intimidating, if we're honest with ourselves. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Me? Little old me? I have a hard enough time talking to my neighbor, let alone going off to the far parts of the world. Let me be really clear. We need to be going to all nations. Absolutely. And there are some people that God has called to learn new languages and embrace new cultures, and that is an amazing thing. We need to be encouraging them and supporting them and praying for them. We heard a little bit about that from people in, in Haiti. But if you don't think you can do this yet, we'll say yet, let's start somewhere. Let's not get paralyzed with this, but rather say, okay, God, how do I start discipling people? How do I start discipling people maybe closer to me? Because if God hasn't called you specifically overseas, God has called you here as a missionary still. How do we start with our neighbors and our coworkers and our family and our friends? Now, I, I really appreciated the answers that you gave about disciple and discipleship. I need to tell you that when I hear the word discipleship, one of the first things that comes to my mind is a program or a budget line. You know, churches have a discipleship process or a discipleship program, or a discipleship thing. And it's really nice to kind of categorize that and put that into a box and say, well, that's not me. Someone else is going to do that. The church does discipleship. Therefore, I don't have to do it, right? I heard a pastor once say that he, you know, he doesn't like this word discipleship because it is kind of an inaction word. It's this thing, it's a noun, it's, a, it's a, a, a category. He much prefers the word discipling because it's a verb. And it's a as-you-go verb. That when Jesus calls us to make disciples, he's calling us to discipling. To disciple people as we live, as we go. It's amazing. Jesus was the first person who was the director of discipleship, but he didn't have a program, and he certainly didn't have a budget line. How did he disciple? He was doing discipling as he was doing ministry, as he was living, as he ate. He talked to his disciples, he talked to his followers, and taught them. As he walked, they walked everywhere. Think about your car rides, and what do we normally do? We put on the music, we put on the DVD player, we look out the window. Some of us still talk, but probably more like you're going like this. Hopefully not if you're the one driving. Jesus talked to people. He had long distances to walk. They walked days to go to different places. If you ever have one of those Bibles that has a map, as you're reading through the gospel, look at your map. Like, he doesn't even, like, stay in one place. He goes here and then here and then back and then this way. Like, he didn't have someone who was organizing his, his ways. Well, maybe he did. 
But it certainly wouldn't be how we would organize a, a, a day trip, right? It would be like going to Kincardine, then to Tiverton, then back to Ripley, then back to Tiverton, then down to Godrich. And you're like, why? Why didn't you just put that in like a nice fluid order? But Jesus knew that part of the reason is because it wasn't always about the destination, it was about the process. And he would disciple his followers as they walked. And so I want to encourage us, we're going to talk today a little bit about discipling. This as we go. And the beautiful thing about discipling is that you don't have to fit it in. It doesn't have to be a chunk of time that you go, okay, everybody, stop. We're going to do some discipling now. It's as we live. It's as we walk. It's as we move. It's as we work. It's as we teach. It's as we make a meal. It's as we go. The Jewish people understood this. And I think we have forgotten for the most part. So I want to bring us back to this beautiful reminder that we find in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9, says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's what we are to be about. Then it says this, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This was like the original, what would Jesus do bracelet? They understood that to make a next generation understand who God is and what God is doing in the life of, of, of his people, it needed to be talked about, it needed to be processed, it needed to be a regular part of their lives. And so that means that we are to talk about things as we go through life. We are to look for opportunities to bring God into conversations and whatever conversations you're having, I want to invite you to look for opportunities to bring God into conversations. In fact, I'm going to give you four things. Number one, listen for opportunities or look for opportunities. Look for opportunities or listen for opportunities to bring God into conversation. Can I tell you that they are all around you? And we miss them all the time. Let me give you an example of a time that I missed it, which was yesterday. Like I've been working on this sermon. It was a layup, and I missed it. Do you know how much of a layup it was? I apologize. I'm going to, uh, to share some knowledge that you may not like. But my kids and I were watching How to Train your dragon too. If you really want to see that movie and you haven't seen it yet, you can plug your ears because spoiler alert, here we go. But in the middle of the movie, the dad dies saving the son. Okay? And this was like traumatic for my children. I hadn't pre-looked at the movie. It was traumatic. They were crying. They were saying, no dad, he's not dead. I'm like, eh, he got like hit by a fireball, he's dead. 
They've now floated his boat out on the river and have like set it on fire as Vikings would. He's very much dead. Sorry, kids. But I miss the opportunity to say, hey, you know what? Let me tell you about a sacrifice. The sacrifice of a father for wandering children. It's a beautiful thing here. And I could have easily said, you know what? Just like in this movie, what's another sacrifice that you've heard about? We could have easily talked about Jesus, but I missed it. It doesn't have to be just for, with kids. When you're talking at the coffee shop and someone's talking about all the horrible things that are going on in the world and their fear and their worry about that, can we bring in, hey, you know what? Yeah, I've, I have some fears and some worries as well. But God tells us to cast our fears on him because he cares for us. So listen for opportunities. Number two, be honest with your weaknesses. Be honest with your weaknesses. You are not Superman. You are not Superwoman. You are not super Christian. As followers of Jesus, we have weaknesses. We still have fears. We still have concerns. We still mess up. I loved how Laura brought up that song and said, you know, we all, we all mess up every day. We need to be honest with that and say, yeah, you know what? I mess up. Because frankly, the people that you're discipling know that you mess up. And they're just waiting to see some honesty and some integrity in that. And so be honest with your weaknesses but then bring it to God's truth. Share God's truth. Number four, share how God's truth has helped you. Now, to help you with this, I'm going to give a little bit of an application here. And so imagine that you're kids and just enjoy a book for a minute, okay? Because many of you have kids or grandkids And as you're playing with them or as you're reading with them, this is a perfect opportunity to bridge something that's just on paper to the truth of God. So, let's enjoy a a book for just a few minutes called Scaredy Squirrel. For those of you who won't be able to see the pictures, they'll be up here. They're awesome. First, a warning. Scary Squirrel insists that everyone wash their hands with antibacterial soap before reading this book. Scary Squirrel by Melanie Watt, who is Canadian, by the way. Scary Squirrel never leaves his nut tree. He'd rather stay in his safe and familiar tree than risk venturing out into the unknown. The unknown can be a scary place for a squirrel. Some things Scary Squirrel is afraid of. Tarantulas, poison ivy, green Martians, killer bees, germs, and sharks. So he's perfectly happy to stay right where he is. Advantages of never leaving your nut tree. A great view, plenty of nuts, a safe place, No tarantulas, poison ivy, green Martians, killer bees, germs, or sharks. 
But then again, there are disadvantages of never leaving your nut tree. It's the same old view, same old nuts, same old place. And so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. In Scaredy Squirrel's nut tree, every day is the same. Everything is predictable and everything is under control. Here's Scary Squirrel's daily routine for you. 6.45, wake up. 7 o'clock, eat a nut. 7.15, look at the view. 12 o'clock, eat a nut. 12.30, look at a view. 5 o'clock, eat a nut. 5.31, look at the view. 8 o'clock, go to bed. But let's say that something did happen unexpectedly. You can rest assured that this squirrel is prepared. A few items in Scaredy Squirrel's emergency kit. A parachute, bug spray, mask and rubber gloves, hard hat, antibacterial soap, calamine lotion, a net, a band-aid and sardines. What to do in case of an emergency. Number one, panic. Number two, run. Number three, get the kit. Step four, put on the kit. Step five, consult your exit plan. And step six, exit the tree, but only if it is absolutely, definitely no other option. Here is the exit plan. Exit number one, note to self, watch out for green Martians and killer bees in the sky. Exit two, do not land in the river. If unavoidable, use sardines to distract the sharks. Exit three, look out for poison ivy and tarantulas roaming on the ground. And exit four, keep in mind that germs are everywhere. Remember, if all else fails, play dead. With this emergency kit in mind, in hand, Scary Squirrel watches. Day after day, he watches until one day, Thursday, at 9.37 in the morning. I'm leaving you in suspense. A killer bee appears. Scary Squirrel jumps in panic, knocking his emergency kit out of the tree. This was not part of the plan. Scary Squirrel jumps to catch his kit. He quickly regrets this idea. The parachute is in the kit. But then something incredible happens. He starts to glide. Because Scary Squirrel is no ordinary squirrel, he is a flying squirrel. Scary Squirrel forgets all about the killer bee, not to mention the tarantulas, poison ivy, green Martians, germs, or, and sharks. He feels overjoyed, adventurous, carefree, and alive until he lands in a bush. And he plays dead. 30 minutes later, one hour later, two hours later. Finally, Scary Squirrel realizes there is nothing horrible is going to happen in the unknown today, so he returns to his nut tree. All this excitement has inspired Scary Squirrel to make a dramatic change in his life. Scary Squirrel's new and improved daily routine. 6.45, wake up. 7 o'clock, eat a nut. 7.15, look at view. 9.37, jump into the unknown. 9.45, play dead. 11.45, return home. 
12 o'clock, eat a nut. 12.30, look at the view. 5 o'clock, eat a nut. 5.31, look at view. 8 o'clock, go to sleep. And as for the emergency kit, Scary Squirrel is not in no hurry to pick it up just yet. It's one of my favorite books. But it's just a kid's book, right? Like, it's just an everyday, normal kid's book. And if you have kids, you probably have bookshelves full of those type of regular, ordinary books. And really, there isn't anything extra special about it. It's not like a Bible story. Those are great. I hope you have a few of those on your bookshelf as well. It's not a story that has like an incredibly like heartfelt moral to it. I'm sure you have probably some of those as well. But it's not one of those. It's just a regular, ordinary story. And yet, those are the types of moments that we have all the time. The reading, the regular, ordinary story with your kid or your grandkid or your nephew or niece. The coffee shop conversations about what's going on in the world, about all these crazy people going on in the world, about agricultural prices, about education, about uh, all these different topics that are happening in our world. Everyday, ordinary moments. And yet, what can we do in those everyday, ordinary moments? Take Scary Squirrel, for example. There are some great topics in this book that you can say, okay, here's an opportunity for me to share with my kids. What is the opportunity here? Do you ever feel like Scary Squirrel? Do you ever feel that anxiety or that fear, or that need for control? What is it that you're afraid of? Is it tarantulas and poison ivy, or is it something else? I don't like heights. That's my big one. I hate heights. My kids are climbers. They love heights. And yet, and yet, I'm terrified of them. So how do I be honest with my kids about that? Say, yeah, you know what? I have some fears too. Here are some of my fears. I'm afraid of heights. But it also makes my heart just pound when you climb up that tree to like the 30th branch and you're so far up and I know that if you get stuck I have to get up there somehow and I don't want to and so I'm just praying that you know what you're doing and you can get down. (laughs) But you know something? God tells us to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. He tells us not to be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition to submit your requests to God. Are there things that you're anxious about? Things that you stay up thinking about? 
You know, Paul talks about how he was hard-pressed on every side, but he wasn't crushed. He was perplexed, but he wasn't in despair. He was persecuted, but he wasn't abandoned. He was struck down, but he wasn't destroyed. He fixed his eyes, not on what was seen, but what is unseen. And he put his faith in God. And so in our fear, in our nervousness, in our anxiety, whatever that is, how do we give that to God? We should take a few minutes to pray right now and give that to God. And see how reading a book has become a moment of discipling. A moment where we can learn a little bit more. A moment where we can hear each other's hearts and where we can pray with each other. And if you're like me, you'll have someone who will go, okay, another book, thank you, another book, thank you. It's going to have lots of opportunities for discipling. That's going to be great. When you're at the grocery store and you're getting food with your kids, is that a great opportunity to talk about God's provision for you and how he provides all that we need? When you're visiting someone in the hospital, Can you be honest about your fear and your concerns and your heart that's just feeling like, God, I don't know what's going on. And I want them to be healed. I, I don't want them to be in pain. And share that with them. And say, but you know what? I know a God that loves you. And I know a God where death is not the final answer. But that there is life in him. There are moments all around us if we would have eyes to see them. And so wherever your day takes you, wherever your week takes you at school, with your coworkers, with your family, with your friends, this week I want to invite you to impress them on your children, to talk about them when you sit at home, to Talk about them when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. To remind yourselves, write it on your hand, bind it on your forehead. How do we talk about God? How do we bring Jesus into every conversation that we have? Let's pray. Father God, I just pray right now that you would help us you would give us wisdom as we are discipling, as we are sharing your love and your truth with those around us. God, give us opportunities. And more than that, Lord, help us see them as opportunities. Father, give us the humility to be open about our own weaknesses, but to declare your truth in the midst of our weakness. Thank you, Lord. As we go this week, may you transform our eyes to see those opportunities. May you transform our eyes to see all around us the opportunities that we have. And God, give us the boldness and the wisdom to take those opportunities to disciple. 
Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.